Well, doesn't that make you glad that you came to camp meeting service this Thursday night? I'll ask you again, aren't you glad that you came to camp meeting service this Thursday night? I, I am thankful to be here, and I'm thankful that you're here, and I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to open up to Habakkuk. You had to be here the other, Habakkuk, if you, you had to be here the other night, Any, anyhow. Habakkuk chapter 1, we kind of got into the theme of the book the other evening, um, and what I want to do tonight is just to start and see the response or the answer that God gives to Habakkuk to his first complaint. We'll be reading in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Their strife and contention rises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds." God responds, beginning with verse 5, "'Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I am working a work in your day which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They're terrible and dreadful.' Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like the sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. Jesus, tonight we are thankful for the hope that we only have in you. We're thankful that you loved us so much that you were willing to fulfill the Father's heart and coming to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And I would pray somehow tonight that if there's somebody here who, who's not aware of how much you care for them, let tonight be the night that, that they sense how much you do. And I believe that there's a word that you want to speak to each one of us, something that you want to say to me. So would you do tonight what only you can do? Anoint your word Help us to hear your voice. Go to places that the human voice cannot go. Speak to us exactly where we are. Help us to hear what it is that you're saying. Help us to receive it. But most importantly, help us to respond knowing that it's in that response that you'll do your work. You make us into the men and women that you long for us to be. Thank you for everything that you've done. You've been far better to me, far better to us than we could ever possibly deserve. But thank you for what you're going to do, because somehow I sense that we haven't yet begun to scratch the surface of all that you have for us. Do it tonight. Do it in me. I need it. I'm counting on it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, you remember from a couple nights ago that Habakkuk is unique, not only in his name, but in his role as a prophet. I mean, he's unique all the way around. He literally, instead of going to God's people on behalf of God, he goes to God on behalf of his people. And he goes there in order to faithfully wrestle with his God. He believes that everything that God has promised, he believes that God will keep his word, but somehow what he sees contradicts what he, know, he knows. And he has reached the point where he begins to question. He sees everything that's going on, and so we watch him as he boils over. And in the midst of this frustration, 
God speaks into his circumstance a message that's been echoed throughout the ages. It was echoed three times in the New Testament. It comes to us tonight. How do God's people live in spite or in the midst of frustration? The righteous shall live by his faith. You'll remember that from the other night. If we are going to be men and women, the men and women that God has called us to be, then we live by faith, believing what God has said, not man, believing what's written in God's word before or until, not if, because if God said it, it will be until we see it happening in our world, in our circumstance. But I've also mentioned, not only that evening, but one of the morning services, that the lifestyle of faith isn't always an easy thing. In fact, I'd almost go so far as to say that most times it's not so easy. We want to believe what God has said. In fact, I've told you that I believe every word in the book is true. And yet somehow our believing becomes clouded. And maybe that's not the best way to put it. It's made difficult. Or maybe it's better just said simply, it's frustrated by what we see. We can't seem to figure out in the mess of all of our living what's going on. I mean, how could God be working when the world is spinning out of control? We just don't seem to understand. And during those times of not understanding, it's easy to become overwhelmed. Has anybody else here ever been overwhelmed by their circumstance? Am I the only one? I, I mean, don't leave me lonely. It's easy when you're in the middle of it to become overwhelmed. There's something about when you're beginning into a circumstance or a problem or a situation, however you want to term it, that there's this hopefulness. There's this feeling as that we can do this. It's not, for instance, not to bring this up, but when they say we're going to shut down for 14 days, just to slow the spread. We're going to shut down for two weeks. And, and, and when we think about that, we think, yeah, for two weeks, for the good of humanity, it's the right thing to do. We can do anything for two weeks. I mean, I'm an evangelist. I spend times with people, with groups of people. I can do anything for two weeks. So I figured that for two weeks we could do it. And we thought, yeah, it won't be bad. And when you're at the start of a problem, then it seems like it's going to be okay. There's something about when you initially begin, in, begin that circumstance. And there is a benefit to hindsight. I don't enjoy, I don't mind telling you this, getting older. While I was here with you this week, I have gotten older. I came here as a 48-year-old man, and now I'm 49. Somehow, I went from being half of 96 to being half of 98. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Two years, you guys don't care. But anyhow, there is something to the benefit of aging because we can look back in our life and we can see how God has been faithful. I mean, when we see circumstances, situations that have gone on, and let me be very clear on this, I believe, I, I, I don't think, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. I started to say I believe God gets blame for a lot of things he doesn't deserve blame for. I don't believe he causes some of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I don't believe that he causes natural disasters. I don't believe he causes people to senselessly blow up buildings and shoot up people. I just don't believe that. There is a prince and power of the rule and ruler of the air. I, I mean, for this hour. But looking back, if we realize he may not have... I'm thinking about a circumstance in my own life in 2005 going into 2006. He didn't cause that, but now I can see how he did, true to his word, work all those things together. See, that's what happens if we'll allow him. He works those things together for our good, but most importantly, for his glory. And we can look back and say, even though I didn't understand, now I can see how God used it all to make me into the person that I'm becoming, to get me to where I am now. There's a benefit to hindsight. But when you're in the middle of it, when 14 days becomes 10 months to a year, when 14 days canceled becomes practically your entire 2020 schedule is gone, it is difficult 
to be in the middle of a circumstance. And let me just say this. I am thankful that there was a man like Habakkuk that we have record of in God's word because he's not at the beginning. He's not at the end. And we are invited to step right into the middle of the circumstance and find the solution that he came to, knowing that that solution is the same for us today. You don't seem to be convinced about this, so let me throw out a few examples. How many of you are parents? I'm not. Um, I've had parents. That's how things happen, you know. Um, Maybe mom and dad, you've raised your children, and now they're out living their own life. And you would be one of those people that would say, we raised them the right way, Billy. I hear that all the time. And you know what? Some of you have, but some of you know you haven't. I mean, we need to understand. Uh, I mean, you realize you, when they were growing up, you made Jesus' second option. If there was something on Sunday morning, you let them participate. Well, if they don't participate on Sunday morning, they're not going to be able to. You know what, Mom and Dad? If you didn't let your kids participate, there wouldn't be anything to participate in. Well, I'm just putting that out there. You're good people. You would never, I'm just throwing for everybody else. You know, all those sorts of things. You know, we've raised them right, but now that they're living out in the world, they're doing their own thing, and we've been praying, we've been holding to that promise that if you would train a child in the way they should go, that when they get older, they'll not depart from that way, and you realize that that doesn't mean that that guarantees they're going to be Christian. We know that, but we claim those promises that since they have been raised right, all those songs that they learned in children's church, all those memory verses that they had in Sunday school, all those things that were buried deep within the soil of their young, fertile hearts as they're out living in the world, as they're driving down the road, one of those seeds will begin to break the surface, and they'll sing a song that they don't know where it's come from. They'll think it's just by accident, but we know God's working in their life. They'll wake up in the middle of the night, and there'll be this verse that comes to their mind, and they'll wonder, "Ah, where did that come from? They don't know, but we know that God is keeping his promise, and you've been holding to the promise that your child will return and you have been praying and you have been praying and believing and praying and praying but the more that you pray the further they seem to get every now and then there's a little glimmer of light a little glimmer of hope but as soon as it flickers it's gone and you're beginning to wonder will it ever happen will you ever see it in your day or maybe you have an occupational need you have been applying for jobs uh, you've been doing everything you know to do. You've not been lazy. You, you keep applying, and, and you've even interviewed, but somehow everybody else keeps getting offered that position. Somehow you never get that phone call saying congratulations, and now you've reached that point, that critical place, that if something doesn't happen, you don't know how you're going to make it. All the benefits are running out. All those things are going to be gone, and you could literally lose it all, and you're beginning to wonder, God, will you ever move in this occupational need? Or maybe you have have a health circumstance. We've all been familiar with that, either in our own lives or in someone else's lives. And I'm thankful even on a humid Thursday evening that we have a God who is still the great physician. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful that when doctors say that the cancer has gone too far, that God can make cancer retreat. I'm thankful that when the doctors say there's nothing more they can do, God still has options. And I've seen it happen in people's lives, and you've seen it. Maybe we've, and maybe there's been this health need, and you're holding on, and you're believing, and you're claiming he's done it before. But this time, folks, I'm trying to get you to see there are times in your life when you're doing everything you know to do And you begin to wonder if it's worth, you begin to wonder how much longer do I continue to cry out to you? I keep praying to you, God, but when are you going to do your part? I'm talking to you about this circumstance and I don't see anything happening. When are you going to answer? It doesn't seem like you're moving. It doesn't even seem like you're here. God, don't you care? Now, if you've never been there, Okay, but there are those that have been. And it's likely that most will get there at one point in their life. And the reason why that's important to understand 
is because this is the exact place that we find Habakkuk. There is no question right from the start. Chapter 1, he's struggling. He's been carrying this burden. He's going through it. We've already said there hasn't been any resolution. He is literally into the middle of it. And we step into that struggle and we find out that this is heavy. It actually seems like it's becoming more than he can bear. He's looking for answers. He's been looking for answers. And at that boiling point, he cries out and we hear his voice in verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? and you will not hear. Isn't it comforting that he asks the same kind of questions that we ask? How long do I continue? How long do I pray? And you don't answer. Aren't you thankful tonight that we have a God who knows where we are? I'm trying to get you thankful for something. Aren't you, let me change it a little bit. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who knows what we need? No? Aren't you thankful that that God who knows what we need gives us exactly what we need exactly when we need it? I'll be honest with you. There are times I want to hurry him up just a little bit. I want to rush him, but I have found that his timing is always perfect. And he knows where his man is. He realizes that he is at that point where he needs to hear his voice. And so we watch after he boils over, after he pours his heart out to God, God breaks this seeming silence. He responds, he speaks to his man, and he says, oh, Habakkuk. Okay, again, that's not there. I wish it were. But Habakkuk, I am moving. In fact, Habakkuk, I'm doing something so incredible that if I were to tell you what I was doing in your day, you wouldn't believe it. Listen to verse 5. It's powerful. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I am working a work in your day which you would not believe, though it were told you. I'm moving. I've never stopped moving, Habakkuk. I'm doing something so amazing that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And then do you know what God does? He tells him what he's doing. And we'll not spend a lot of time here. I just want you to see the imagery of God's response because I said it the other night and I'll say it again. I wanna caution you. If you faithfully wrestle with God, which I believe is okay, he knows what we feel, but faithful wrestling requires you to come to the place where you are willing to hear what he says. He has spoken, we have his word, and there comes the point in time that we have to hush and allow him to speak. And when he speaks, word of caution, you might not get the answer you were looking for. Listen to what he says. I'm doing something incredible. I'm raising up, I'm bringing your way the Babylonians. Now, I know some of your translations, like the one I read tonight, New King James Version, will say the Chaldeans. It's okay. It's the same people group. I prefer to use the Babylonians because in our modern minds, we've heard about the Babylonians. Because you remember in your history lessons, there was a Babylonian empire and there was a Babylonian empire for a reason. And God begins to describe this reasoning. He goes on to say, I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're coming your way. And the Babylonians, Habakkuk, are bitter. And I don't want to yank a word out of context. But I just want us to think about this word for a minute. Because some terms can be negative or positive. Bitter is one of those terms Unless I'm wrong, and, and you can tell me later, John, unless I'm wrong, it's negative the only time I ever see it. To taste something that's bitter, it's not good, unless you got weird taste, I guess. I, I mean, you, you know, it, it, to meet somebody who's bitter, I, I mean, and, and let me say this, guard your heart, guard your heart. I've met people over the years, and I'm just going to get real with you for a second. 
I met people over the years as I've traveled from place to place who have been hurt. And let me tell you this, life isn't easy. Life isn't easy. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be hurt in the world. You know what? You're even going to be hurt in church because the church is filled with imperfect people. But those of you who are tearing down the church, let me remind you, that is the church that Jesus died for. Shame on you. That's the church he died for. But because there are, you could be hurt by a pastor. Pastors are often hurt by people in their church. And I have met people, uh, for instance, who would say, you know what, Billy, that pastor 23 years ago, I can't believe he did this. And I'm telling you, I know it hurt 23 years ago, but why are you staying 23 years in the past? If you really believe the things you sing, if it's not just meaningless chatter, if you really believe that he is the one who can break chains, who can set the captives free, it doesn't matter what anybody else has done to you. He can free you from that hurt. He can free you from that pain. You don't have to be bound by those chains. You can walk in his freedom in 2021 and leave the 90s where they needed to be. Oh, see, if somebody would get a hold about that, your life would change tonight. I, I met people who get mad at church and they go to another church. There are some people who make that their habit. I've often thought how blessed the pastor across town must feel when all the troublemakers come his way. Because they talk. You realize that, don't you? I mean, you think you just talk about them. No, they, can, they know what goes on in each other's churches. If, they, if it's a tight-knit community, they know, they know all that. Well, she said this about my banana pudding. I, I honestly met a lady who left the church because somebody said something about her banana pudding. Isn't that stupid? It, it'd be funny if it weren't pathetic. God's people ought to be bigger than they. It probably wasn't any good anyway. I'm telling you to guard your heart. Because bitterness will destroy you. If you allow it to fester, if you allow it to take hold, it will be your downfall. I've learned that bitter people don't even like bitter people. That says a lot, doesn't it? And I, I've stayed there too long. But they are a bitter, impetuous nation. They are walking, they are marching through the earth, see the picture, taking possession of dwellings that are not their own. In other words, they are conquerors. They are going along the countryside, inhabiting, taking control of cities that they did not build. They're living in homes that they do not have the mortgage to. They are taking possession of dwellings that do not belong to them. They're dreadful. Don't these sound like people that you'd like to have over to Sunday afternoon? dinner. They're dreadful. They are hasty. They are a terrible, and that's one of those words. Terrible can be negative. It can be positive. I love the word terrible, but you be sure based on everything else that we read, this is very bad. They are a terrible nation. So we see the character of these people. Now I want you to see their force. God goes on to paint this picture. Their horses Dumb question, how many of you know what a horse is? How many of you know horses are fast? My family's from southeast Kentucky, northeast Tennessee. Kentucky's known for, for horses. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's one of, and my uncle used to have horses and I've just learned I can't outrun a horse. Oh, don't look at me that way. I don't care how fit you think you may be. You may have a six-pack ab. I have a couple of two liters here. Maybe working on a little keg. I don't know. Thank you, COVID. But anyhow, you know, you're not going to outrun a horse either. I mean, they are fast. But I want you to see the image that God has given. Their horses are swifter than leopards. Now, I can say to you tonight that I've never met a leopard in its natural habitat. I, I haven't. And, and I can also say that I am thankful for that. 
I've probably seen a few at some zoos that I've been to. I know that I've seen them on TV because I watch PBS. How many of you like PBS? I'm not the only boring one. I'm, I'm glad for that. But I, I mean, I've watched those animal shows. You, you know, they're really entertaining. I, I mean, you'll watch, and they're on the the, the tundra or the plain of Africa, you'll see that, that there's these animals all around. They'll be over here, this leopard, you'll see it. It's kind of crouched down. It's watching over here is another horse. It's a striped horse. It's black, white. You know, we call it a zebra. Uh, the British call it a zebra. That's dumb. We'll call it a zebra. But anyhow, we see it there. And all of a sudden, this it's a horse. It's fast. We see this leopard. It takes off running after that striped thing. And it tries to get away. It runs. But by the time it's done with it, that that zebra, that horse is black, white, and red. I mean, it, trying to get you to see this picture. I won't outrun a horse. There's no way I'm going to outrun a leopard. In other words, what is God saying? They're bitter. They're terrible. They're taking possession of things that are not their own, and you will not escape them. You will not outrun them. There's no escape. They are more fierce than evening wolves. And I want you to see this image too. Evening wolves. How many of you ever seen a wolf before? A wolf. They're big. Now, I'm not talking about coyotes. I'm not talking about that. Coyotes are everywhere. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but even back home in Cincinnati, people are bringing their chihuahuas in from the backyard because coyotes like chihuahuas. They actually like shih tzus, but I guess it's easier to get a hold of a... Anyhow, you, you know, we're not talking about coyotes. We're talking about wolves. And if you've ever been out west to the desert, anybody ever been out there? Uh, New Mexico, Arizona, something like that. On the edge of the desert, when the sun begins to set off in the distance, if you hear the howling of a wolf, there's something about that that can make the hair on a bald man's neck stand up. I mean, it, it's just something because you know, you, you are thankful at that point when you hear that howl off in the distance that you're not a little bunny because you know at the end of the night that wolf is going to be picking bunny tail out from between its teeth. There's no way, I, I mean, it is fierce. You are not going to outrun them and it's going to hurt. I want you to see the image that God is saying. They are coming your way, you'll not escape, and they are going to devour you. They are coming for violence. There'll be no parley. There'll be no peace talks. There'll be no conversations. They are coming for the purpose of violence. They will scoff at your kings. They scorn princes. They don't care who you think you are. They heap up mounds of earth to overtake your fortresses. This is interesting, and I won't stay long, but I think I want you to see this picture because you know in the art of warfare, you want the high ground. Because if you have the high ground, you have a tactical advantage. If you've ever been to the Antietam battlefield in Hagerstown, uh, around Hagerstown, Maryland, uh, you know that, that it's really interesting because you can see why they were victorious because they watched everything that was going on around them. If you're up here, you could, that's why fortresses are, are built on the high ground. That's why when you see fortresses of old, they're built on cliffs. Or if there's no natural high place, they dig out a moat because they want that barrier. They think it'll slow people. But they were so advanced in the art of warfare. Some of our modern translations will say they're earth movers. The reason they would say that is because they don't care how high your fortress may be. They're just going to pile up the earth until they're at your front door. And when they're at your front door, you might as well just give them the key. They are taking over. Habakkuk, I'm moving. The Babylonians are coming. They're awful. They're coming for violence. You will not outrun them. They are going to devour you. It's going to hurt. There will be suffering by their hand. But my promised salvation, Habakkuk, will come from that suffering. Suffering is coming your way. It's going to hurt, but salvation will rise out of that suffering. Oh, that's incredible. Can we just agree on this? I don't believe that's the response Habakkuk expected. I really want to say poor old Habakkuk. But here's the deal. It did something for him. 
It's evidenced by the time you get to chapter three. It should do something for us. What did it do? Even though it's not the message he expected, it showed him that God was at work. Do you know that? We have a God who is not still. We have a God who is not removed. He is at work. We have to face it. There are times in our lives when things seem to spin out of control. And during those times, God doesn't do things the way we would think that he should do it. God's ways are not our ways. If you're not willing to say it, I'll say it. There are so many times that I want to say, God, let me help you out in this circumstance. Let me tell you how these people need to be dealt with. Let me tell you what needs to be done here. God's ways are not our ways. But his ways are always right. And it's during those times we remember what God said. The just shall live by faith. Why do we remember it? Because we know we can now trust God even when we're in the middle of it and things don't make sense. So let me remind you quickly that God is not bound by time. Can I remind you of that? We, we are so tied to our schedules, to our watches. You remember that God is not bound by time. He doesn't wear a wrist watch. I, I, I mean, there, there, there aren't those. It's just, I, I know what our problem is. If you're wondering, I, I, I know what my problem is. I know what your problem is, too. It's the problem that we all share. Every one of us here, I mean, I can tell, by the way, some of you are just kind of dead in the heat. You've got a heat coma. You're doing this and that. I, I mean, we've, we live in the present tense. I, I mean, that's true for all of us. We have this moment. This is what we're given. Now, we do have a past. We can look back and remember when we were trying to make our decision. Am I going go to go to the service? Am I going to do this? And maybe you're regretting that decision, but you can't go back and change it. Why? Because we live in the present tense. We hope for a future. Some of you are thinking, boy, I hope he says amen soon. I, I hope he just gets finished and we get, uh, and yeah, that time will come. But here's the thing. You can't just jump there. Why? Because we live in the present tense. That's our problem. We are limited. God's not. That's why it's so hard for us to, to comprehend things of God. Because limited vocabulary can't capture an unlimited God. We can't, we can't find the language. That's why some of you get mad because they changed my mansion to a room. And if you're mad about that, you've probably got neither. Because we think of mansion and gold. And those are the most beautiful things we can think of. But language can't capture. Do you see? Oh, we're finite. He is infinite. We see a snapshot he sees a hole. Isn't it interesting? I was thinking about this the other day. When God, because um, Dr. Van Zandt uh, keeps saying, I is what I is. You know, talking about God. I am that I am. Not what I am. I am that I am. Uh, but he's described as alpha and omega. So interesting, because it doesn't say, I was Alpha, and I will be Omega. No, 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 no. I am Alpha and Omega. I am beginning, not was. I am beginning. I am end. I am first. I am last. Well, that's so powerful. I mean, we can't get a hold of it because it's beyond us. But see, here's what that means. I'm confined here in the present tense, but I can remember who he was in the past, or maybe who he is in the past. And when I remember how he met me there in the past, he's still in my past, I can be sure that no matter what I'm going through right now, that the same God who was then is still now. And when I realize that he 
was then and he is now, I can be sure that the same God who is beginning and end is in my past and is in my present is also already in my future. What does that mean? That means all those things that keep you up at night, all those worries, those people who are out to get you, those people who are out for your position, those people at work who just want to drag you down, that financial need that you don't know how you're going to come up and meet, all those things, that health situation, God already has the answer for. He's dealt with that circumstance. He's written the check. The health response is already there. Knowing that he was, he is, and always will be, I can sleep easily because I trust him. Oh, see, I don't care that it is hot. If you got a hold of that, that would change your life. Some of you are a mess on the inside. You put on a smiling face and you come to a camp like this for 10 days and you act like you've got it all together, but you know you don't. We ought to allow him to put those pieces together and trust him in that process. We see a snapshot. God sees a whole. In other words, we must not judge God by our timetables. We can't try to make him fit into our calendars or our time measurements. Even when it doesn't make sense, we need to remember the words that he spoke to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I am working a work in your day which you would not believe, though it were told you. Why do we need to remember that? Because you can be sure when you hear those words that God has a plan. Do you understand that? I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how far you are in your journey with him. I don't care if you just, God has, if there is breath in your body, God has a plan for you. In other words, there is a bigger picture than the struggle in which you find yourself in. He has a plan. How can I be so sure? Because he's that kind of God. He's always had a plan. Do you remember there was a plan that was laid from the foundation of the world? You're a Thursday night crowd. You know these stories. I don't have to labor it. You know the story of creation when a creator God is going through the creative process and as he speaks, his saliva becomes stars and planets. He's the God that went at the sound of his voice, light and darkness, land and sea are all separated. He addresses that land and when he speaks to it, all of a sudden vegetation begins to break through and begin to pop up. He's the one that speaks and little fur balls appear. Best thing in the world, dogs. You guys don't like dogs? You guys don't like anything. But anyhow, you know, dogs made those. You remember the creative process. His word is powerful, but never forget the power of his touch. Because remember, he reaches down one day into a little mound of dust, a little mound of dirt. And out of that mound of dirt, he forms the image of a man. But see, he didn't form man in the same way that he formed the plant life. He didn't form man in the same way he formed the animal life. He formed man in his image in his likeness, he created him. And then he looked upon that lifeless form. He's moved by compassion, and he leans over top of him and places his spirit of life. He places his breath of life within man, and man becomes a living soul. He takes that man formed in his, spirit, in his image, filled with his spirit, and places him in the most beautiful garden imaginable. See, here's the thing. Let me throw this out there. If you've ever wondered what you were created for, and I don't think that this is a young problem. I think it's something we never grow out of. What purpose do I serve? If you've ever wondered what that purpose is, you see it right there at the start. You were made in God's image to be filled with his spirit for a relationship with him. That was the intended place of mankind. But you know, man fouled it up. We call it the fall of man. The one thing they were asked not to do is the very thing that they did do. And because of that, separation occurred. Creator and creation no longer can have this beautiful relationship. Man begins down a path that he was never intended to go down. We watch at the same time the pursuit of the father. 
It's a beautiful picture. It begins here in Genesis and it goes all the way through Malachi. Some of you need to read your Bible. Malachi. Malachi's the Italian prophet, right? Isn't that what they said? But, but, but anyhow. I mean, all the way through, but it starts here when we watch a holy God strolling through the garden, crying out, Adam, where are you? And it's not because he didn't know. It's because he knew, and he longed for that relationship, and when man could not, would not come to where he was, God was doing the greatest thing imagined. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who always pursues us? He always initiates relationship. He takes that first step, and throughout the entirety of the old, we watch that picture replayed over and over and over again. But by the time you hit the end, it seems hopeless. God has done so much ludicrous things. He's gotten in covenant with his people. Contract even did that on their part. And, and he always keeps his end of the bargain. But man never keeps theirs. And at that point in time, maybe we enter into the darkest point in history. At the end of Malachi, now we don't get a sense of this because we have westernized minds. Most of us have grown up with more Bibles in our home than some people can find in an entire region. I, I mean, all these sorts of things. We dusted them off from time to time, all that kind of thing. And we have that paper Bible, or maybe if you scroll now, you, you come to the end of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, you flip a piece of paper over, Matthew! You, you think the old ends and the new begins. You know that's not true. Historically, they will say there's some 400 years between the old and the new. I believe, and you have a right to disagree because you have a right to be wrong, but I believe it's probably more like 430 because Israel had known this darkness before in Egypt land. But you remember there were signs as they were crying out. Things were going on, and a man named Moses rose up. But on this occasion, there's nothing recorded. Why? Because there's not even an authentic voice from God. There's not even the prophet or the prophetess that will stand up and thunder, thus saith the Lord. It must have seemed as though God got to the point and said, I'm sick to death of you people. Have it your way. I'm done. And turned his back and walked away. But aren't you thankful? At the darkest moment, you can always be sure that the light is about to pierce through. Because now we see at the darkest point in history, we refer to it as the incarnation. God does the greatest thing imaginable. By robing his son in human flesh and sending him from the ivory halls of heaven down to a manger to be born. But will you think with me for a minute? I, I, I want to speak this word of caution because hear what I'm saying. I have already told you over and over and over again that I believe every word in the book. I believe every story is true. So I obviously believe the birth of Jesus story. But I want us to put aside how many Christmases we've come through. I want us to lay aside how many Easter's we've celebrated remove ourselves as much as we can from our westernized mind and think about this scene. Because, and, and hear me, I believe every word of it. But who would believe a story like that? Think about that. That God would send His Son. Now, I asked you before how many of you were parents, many of you raised your hands. Would you give yours? And the way that God would send his son, think about this, is that a virgin would conceive. You all realize that's not the way things usually happen. Don't look at me like that. Who would believe? And when she would bear that son, God's son, he would be born in a manger. That's incredible. It's unbelievable. And then, we don't have a lot about his childhood, 
We do know that scripture says that he grew in stature as a man. We have that one account when he's 12 years old. But we know because it says when he grew in stature as a man, that means he grew just like you and I did. It's such a powerful image because that means everything that you've ever experienced, he's experienced. I believe Jesus probably had a tummy ache. Tummy ache. Stomach ache. I don't know where tummy came from. Judge me if you want to. I'm hot. You know? I believe there was probably that point in time when he was uh, maybe a 13, 14-year-old boy, woke up with a big old pimple on his nose. I mean, went through all those. He grew in, think about it, feet that had trod down golden avenues for 33 years will stomp through maneuver. Toes that had dangled in the crystal sea for 33 years would get dirt under their nails. God's darling son, the prince of glory, royalty of heaven, would humble himself and walk as a man, knowing every step of the way where that journey would lead him, knowing that he would fulfill his father's heart by offering himself on an altar, so much so that we see him just hours before Golgotha, hours, he's already living in the shadow of the cross. He kneels in a garden and begins to wrestle just like Habakkuk did. He says, Father, if there be any other way. He knew the pain. He could hear already the echoes of the hammers as they struck the nails. If there be any other way, then let this cup pass from me. And remember, he is the one that stood before fathers a while before and said, which one of you being a father, if your child would ask for bread, would give them stones? How much more then will your heavenly and father in heaven give good gifts? And now he is pleading with his father, the one that he love supremely if there's another way who would believe that he'd come to the point nevertheless it's unbelievable if not I can't grasp it not my will but thy will be done who would believe shortly after that prayer that the creator would be seized by its creation? Where he would be judged by the ones that he had breathed life into. That ultimately he would be nailed to a tree that he had planted. Who would believe that as he hung there, feeling every pain through his muscle and sinew, feeling every, that he felt as though even in that moment, his father had abandoned him, the one that he loved so much. Father, why have you forsaken me? Who would believe that the breath of life would draw his last? and bow his head and die. And then when they'd take him down off that cross, now hear this, it's outrageous, that they would put him in a borrowed tomb. You don't act like that's so outrageous. Come on, folks. There are some things you don't borrow. I would suggest in the day in which we live, masks are one of those things. You don't borrow someone's underwear, unless you're good friends and you're camping, you need to. But anyhow, you don't borrow a tomb because when you're put in there, you're not coming out. But who would believe that on the third day, the one who was dead lived again and walked out. It's an incredible picture. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I am working a work in your day 
which you would not believe though it were told you. I want you to understand tonight that Jesus is the fulfillment of the word that was spoken to Habakkuk. He is the ultimate Habakkuk. Salvation has come to God's people. The long awaited, the long promised salvation, it has come, but it came through suffering. Jesus suffered so you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus felt abandoned at the cross so we can realize that we we have never been abandoned. We are not defeated. Even when we doubt, God is at work. And if you don't believe that, look to the cross. Salvation has come to God's people. But that salvation came through suffering. Do you understand how beautiful that is? Do you realize the power? Jesus gave himself. Justice flows from injustice. Our healing comes from his wounding. Why does that matter on a Thursday night, second Thursday night of Syker? Because that's a God that's trustworthy. See, if you never come to the point that you trust him, you'll never go very far with him. This is a God that's tr You can trust him with your past. I love that image because I, I, I meet so many people that, that the one thing that has defeated them more than anything else is remembering who they used to be. Being bound by those things or holding on to something that someone has done, like we said before, you can trust him with your past. Aren't you thankful for that? You can trust him with your present. You know, God wasn't caught off guard by COVID-19. Do you realize that? God wasn't surprised in 2020 when we used the internet to proclaim the gospel probably to more people than had heard it in a long time. Now, Al Gore, when he invented the internet, didn't expect that to happen, but God knew. Wherever you are, presently, you can trust him. Aren't you thankful for that? You can trust him with your future. There are those who wonder, well, what if I say yes? What if I give all? What if I give my life? What if I, you know what? You can trust him. He's a God that's trustworthy even when you're in the middle of it. So Jesus tonight, mm, I'm thankful that even though there are so many things that would distract us from what you're wanting to say, that you are greater than all those things. And I believe that you are speaking to each one of us exactly where we need spoken to. And so I would ask, in these closing moments that you would do what only you could do. Draw us to yourself and help us to respond. We can't even really do that on our own, but help us to respond to your voice however you may be speaking. For the one who needs to let go of things in their past, help them to trust you with that. Present and future the same, whatever it may be, help us to find in you the promise that was made that you suffered for us to realize. Well, I've said every service that when the word of God is spoken, it demands a response. It's not whether or not you respond. See, that's why I sleep easily in the nighttime. If I do what God wants me to do, it, it, it's you're going to respond to his voice. And either your respond will bring you closer to him or you'll drift a little further away. You won't be the same. That's not our option. We've been here in his presence together. We've heard his voice. There's a requirement of that. 
will not be the same. I know it's hot, but I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet and maybe tonight you wanna come to one of these altars. There's no pressure on this. But maybe you wanna come and say, I trust you. I don't understand what's going on, but I trust you, I know you have a plan. There's some kind of confidence in knowing that there is a plan, whether you know what that plan is or not. I trust your plan more than what I can't understand. Maybe you wanna say, I trust you with my past. Finally, I need to let it go, it's dragging me down. Or I don't know where it may be something entirely different. God has a way of doing that. All I ask in these closing moments, let's respond. Because in that response, we'll be changed. And that's why we've come. That's why we've come. Tis so sweet to trust in just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to How I trust Him. 
still my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, He faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Thank you, Jesus. being a God who hears our desperate cries when the way is thorny and painful and difficult. Thank you for being a God who is always at work, even when we're blind to it. Thank you for being a God who always has a plan that's bigger than what we can see and better than what we could understand. Thank you, Jesus, for those who tonight are choosing to trust in you, to trust you with our past, our present, our future, to surrender to the sometimes difficult good news that your salvation comes through suffering. Thank you for the cross tonight, Jesus. Thank you for being trustworthy. God, we pray that tonight many who choose to trust in you would find you to be their living hope through pain and difficulty. That we would leave as people filled with hope as we choose to respond to your word. Trusting in you. trust you, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.